This episode is sponsored by Wind River Microbes. To give your soils the best natural growth enhancements, including mycorrhizae and beneficial bacteria, visit windrivermicrobes.com. and welcome to In the Field. I'm your host, Zachary Maxwell, president of Texas Hemp Growers, the association representing the greatest group of growers in the greatest state of the union. And for the next hour, we're going to explore the world of hemp. I'll be joined this episode by none other than Sid Miller, commissioner of the Texas Department of Agriculture. And we'll be talking about the department's role in this upcoming industry and how hemp is being received by Texas farmers and agriculture community. I want to thank you for joining me tonight for this very special episode. This is episode two of In the Field. And if you missed our episode last week, we are now distributing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify and SoundCloud as well. We are getting out there to all of the best podcasting services right now, and we are building quite the following. The purpose of In the Field, of course, is to bring in some of the heaviest hitters in the industry and share that expert insight with growers and enthusiasts alike so that we can build a better hemp industry for everyone. I'd like to recognize the sponsor of today's episode, Wind River Microbes. This is a microbial company that uh, specializes in bringing microbes to uh, farmers and growers, and we will have the pleasure later in this episode of speaking with CJ Swicky of Wind River Microbes. We're gonna talk about soil health and the microbial environment that exists in our soil that ultimately supports uh, that whole entire plant ecosystem there. And I'm excited to hear what we can learn about this industry from him. And so one of the things I wanna take just a second to talk about and brag about is our association, Texas Hemp Growers as a whole, and how rapidly we have grown just since October of last year. Our organization has grown to almost 200 members strong, and we are growing every single day with the sole purpose of representing this industry and providing growers a resource for learning for support. If you get on our website right now, hemptx.org, you'll find my cell phone number. That is how accessible we make ourselves to our members. And when you come in as a Texas Hemp Grower member, you're going to receive the support that you won't find anywhere else. And so I highly encourage you to go there and consider joining this association. We're truly making some major changes uh, here in the industry, and we're attracting a lot of attention, not just in, here in this state, uh, from some of the biggest names, but also just across this country. And I can't wait to share more with you about some of the future speakers that we're going to be having on this podcast that we've already lined up. It truly is really something amazing that we're building over here at Texas Hemp Growers. And of course, I have such a strong team backing uh, what we do right now. And of course, one of the persons I do want to give a shout out to is uh, producer Sandra, who is absolutely awesome at making sure that we bring these speakers uh, into this podcast uh, in an orderly fashion. And so uh, she does really amazing work for Texas Hemp Growers over here as a whole, and uh, just an awesome communicator and truly uh, a winning part of our team. And Texas Hemp Growers is the winning team, and it's the team that you definitely want to be on as this industry moves ahead. And so I'm very excited for everything that is going on here. And of course, we have a really awesome speaker that is going to be joining us here uh, in just a few minutes. But first, let's talk about some news. I want to start out by talking about Panda Biotech. This is one of those subjects that I hear talked about all the time. I'll be talking with a grower and they'll bring it up with me. Uh, oh yeah, this Panda, this Panda Biotech facility is uh, a big facility that's being built around the Lubbock area. And what do you know about it? And what have you heard about it? And of course, when we first heard about this project last year, it was really brought to the public through a company issued press release. This uh, company, Panda Biotech, which is, uh, has a headquarters based out of DFW here, uh, they had announced plans to build a 255,000 square foot hemp processing facility in shallow water, which is just outside of Lubbock. 
And uh, the whole purpose of this facility uh, that we're told is that they were going to be processing fiber, uh, hemp fiber, and uh, more specifically, they were going to be getting into the cellulose market. And so um, this was dubbed the Panda High Plains Hemp Gin, and uh, it rocked the news waves whenever the news hit. A lot of folks were talking about it. It was coming up at classes. People have been asking me left and right, what's going on with the Panda Biotech facility? And so what I can share with you, uh, because we decided last month that we were going to start poking around and digging into this and finding a more concrete answer, and here's what we found. What we found is that the Panda Biotech deal in shallow water fell through. It's not going to happen for shallow water. Uh, this was, uh, uh, you know, obviously a devastating uh, occurrence there for that community. We personally spoke to the mayor of Shallow Water, Roy King Potter, uh, who actually told us that there was apparently maybe a problem with the building uh, not being tall enough. And that uh, in order for Panda Biotech to retrofit that building for its needs, that that might have been an expensive barrier uh, for them to overcome. And so uh, when, when we actually reached out to Panda Biotech, and they're not exactly um, uh, the most easy company to get statements from, we did manage to get a statement from their company spokesperson in which we were told that the building had basically not passed inspection. And that instead, Panda Biotech has moved into, quote, advanced negotiations with other locations in the High Plains. So um, obviously this is not terrible news because the company appears to still be moving ahead with its plans to bring uh, what they're billing the world's, potentially the world's largest hemp processing facility to Texas. This is huge and it couldn't be more exciting that they're still at least exploring to do this. Uh, obviously a devastation for those growers around the Lubbock area that were hoping that that facility was going to be nearby. Uh, once again, we don't know exactly where they're going to put that facility in the end, but it's not all bad news because just yesterday, fresh off the presses, Panda Biotech put out an update. And that update was that they have contracted with a quote, leading international manufacturer for the construction of what is believed to be the largest hemp decorticator in the world. That is huge. So we have this company saying that they've entered into a contract to at least have the equipment manufactured. That's very good news, good news for uh, just the industry and hopefully for Texas. Now, they are still exploring where they're going to put this hemp decorticator. Uh, and of course, the company is not disclosing the name of its manufacturer. Uh, it says that this is something that they're kind of keeping in close quarters there. I'm not really sure what that means, but uh, maybe they don't want too many people bothering the company that's going to be manufacturing. Uh, but they claim they've been working very close with what appears to possibly be an overseas company to scale up current decorticating equipment to be able to handle what they say will be 88,000 pounds of processing throughput each year. So when we think about this in the greater scheme of things, we have this major processor that is talking about bringing something into the state which is practically non-existent in this industry, which is fiber and industrial processing. We want fingers crossed that this will happen. This is going to bring great jobs into the community. It's going to provide our farmers an opportunity. Our row crop farmers will find a lot of familiarity in planting hemp for fiber and grain. It's sewn together a lot closer uh, and so you don't deal with a lot of the cultivation issues that, that often come with CBD farmers uh, who are often putting a lot more space in between their plants. And so the opportunity for 
a farmer to potentially have hemp in their rotation of crops uh, uh, not only uh, speaks to the ability to remediate soil in areas of our state that probably desperately need it, but we can take potentially those fibers uh, and turn them into industrial applications that allow us to clean our soils and provide sustainable, renewable resources into our economy. And as we move ahead, we're finding that that concept of sustainability, that concept of, of recyclable and biodegradable is becoming more and more attractive to companies. And so when it's all said and done, uh, their facilities are going to produce textile quality, high grade fiber. They will produce premium herds and they'll also be producing cellulose. Now on a basic level, and, and of course we don't know for certain how they're going to approach the cellulose, uh, uh, but what my understanding of the cellulose extraction is that it it takes a, a certain a bit of, of, of like a weak acid that, that those stocks have to be bathed in in order to extract out that cellulose. And of course, that cellulose is in turn turned into biodegradable plastics. And as we see landfills uh, being filled up with things like plastic bottles and uh, one-time use uh, 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 packaging, the ability to have such an easily accessible, uh, uh, biodegradable, sustainable crop at our fingertips is important. And so seeing something like the Panda Biotech Hemp Gin coming into focus a little bit more uh, is exciting. And, and that particular development there, the company is claiming that it will be in partial operation by the first quarter of next year. So that is, that, that, that's fast. I, I think that that is uh, very optimistic uh, of the company. And they're saying that it's gonna be partially in operation by the four, first quarter, but in full operation within the first half of the year. And so this is truly exciting. I'm very curious to know who or which cities are being looked at and what type of opportunities are being offered by those cities to attract this type of mover and shaker to their industry. I hope that that's to their cities. I hope that that conversation is happening and that we're giving serious thought to this. And so Really, when we look at an opportunity like the Panda Biotech thing, we see this ability to push the boundary on things like sustainable plastic and providing this optimism to our, our, our row crop farmers to have another uh, uh, crop that they can rely upon. And then, of course, being able to have a game-changing piece of the processing uh, in this state, that is huge. The ability to, to be able to say that we have one of the first and largest hemp gins in the world will truly be uh, put Texas ahead of other states in that rank. And I'm sure that our cotton and our wheat farmers and our corn farmers uh, are, are more than happy to rise to that challenge. Now, on the other side of this though, I do wanna point out that, that there's gonna be some challenges. This is not exactly um, all roses and rainbows being able to uh, uh, get something like this into our state. First of all, uh, we have a major question of who are the endpoints. When we talk about hemp fiber and the ability to bring that to the market, we ultimately want to know who is going to buy it, which companies will turn it into products. And right now, those are a little limited. And so, what we have to do is we have to identify how do we find uh, those buyers, how do we bring them into a system, and, and a lot of time these buyers are going to be companies that are just flat out making charitable acts. We have to understand that, that hemp plastic, hemp cellulose, it's going to cost more to extract that than it would be to create uh, a normal, uh, 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 you know, uh, the the uh, the diesel the diesel based plastics the the fuel based plastics the oil based plastics it's going to take a lot to move a company beyond that expense because they're literally going to have to make that charitable uh, contribution to to the environment in order to do that 
finding that right location uh, is important as well. And of course, another problem in this industry is also just the uh, inconsistent uh, deliverability of hemp fiber from the farmers, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about at a later time because on May 18th, I hope you'll join us for our podcast when we're going to have Chris Boucher of Farm Tiva on our program. And the reason why Chris is so important is because he's an original founding member of the National Hemp Industries Association. He's been in the hemp fiber game since the 90s and was producing products. And so we're going to bring him on on the 18th of May to talk about some of those bottlenecks in the industry that have to be overcome by farmers. But what I do want to do is I want to shift gears for a second. Because with coronavirus having take, taken a full effect on our economy and it being felt by our growers and our farmers, there's at least one government agency right now that is working very hard to make sure that our farmers are supplying the country with the crops needed to sustain our existence. I'm very honored right now to be joined today by none other than Sid Miller, the Commissioner of the Texas Department of Agriculture. And I want to welcome you to the show, Commissioner Miller. My understanding is that you just launched a new television show featuring Texas agriculture. Is that right? Well, howdy, y'all. All is good. Yes, sir. We just finished our first episode of Texas Agriculture Matters. It aired on RFD TV at six o'clock this afternoon. That's very cool. And so how did that go? Fill us in. Well, we got all positive comments. So far, no negative comments. We had did a face, Facebook Live and promoted it all week. So it seems to be uh, uh, very well accepted so far. We'll see. And, and give me a little bit of background about the program and, and, and what viewers can expect. Well, agriculture in Texas is a $100 billion industry, second only to oil and gas. I, I guess right now it's probably number one come to think of it. <laughs> We've probably passed all and gas because uh, all was ten dollars a barrel today, but uh, it's uh, no one really knows what uh, how important agriculture is. One one in five jobs are somehow related to agriculture in this state, so it's it's a big part of our driving economy. We lead the nation in agriculture exports, of course, cattle and cotton and wool and mohair and horses and sheep and goats and hay and the list you know goes on and on and on. Uh, so we're showcasing our you know our you know texas and, and our agriculture roots and our rural heritage and our western lifestyle and the, and the type of family values that that carries with it and we're just trying to share a little bit of texas with everyone those texas values are unbeatable aren't they well we think so you know we really do it's uh you know some people call us you know, braggadocious, and, and, and we are, I guess, but it's, you know, it's not bragging if it's true. Some people say we kind of strut when we walk, but we just say that's just the way Texans walk, actually. We, we, have, we may have a little swagger, but that's good. That's kind of part of our personality. Amen to that. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that uh, obviously we're seeing this coronavirus has absolutely just gripped our nation and it's, it's certainly gripping Texas right now. How is this affecting the farmers here in this state? What are you seeing from your side? Well, we're having huge losses in the livestock industry right now, the dairy industry, the milk producers, beef producers, of course, swine, chicken farms are all upside down. And, uh, you know, there's 11 packing plants closed across the United States. So it's, it's carrying a toll on, on livestock prices. Commodity prices aren't, aren't much better. So it's, uh, it's turbulent times and uh, hard times for agriculture across the board right now. Yeah, it truly is. And, and you know, uh, that, that's kind of where we, I want to pivot here real fast to, to this subject of hemp, because this is something that is giving a lot of growers uh, some hope right now during uh, an otherwise depressed economy. And of course, TDA is playing a huge role in rolling this program out for our state. So can you talk a little bit about how's the rollout going? Obviously, you guys have been just absolutely killing it, working remotely, making sure that the farmers are still getting their licenses. How's the whole rollout going? Well, surprisingly, uh, pretty smooth. It's uh, been all pretty much uneventful. We, we've had uh, 
uh, you know, applications came in. We had 60 days uh, by the statute to process those. We got most of those back in 30 days or less, mostly mostly less. We have not quite as many uh, license applications as we thought we'd have. We've, we've had about 550 uh, producers apply for a license, and we've is issued those. We've got seven or eight that are kind of in suspense, and those are just minor stuff. They probably gave us the wrong taxpayer ID number, inverted a number or something. It popped up, you know, it didn't match, or wrong Social Security number. So we've got to contact those people and work that out. We've had about 70 uh, lot permits uh, issued, and those keep coming in every day. We kind of have a, a steady growth. Uh, I think about 80 handler permits, and we've had 30-something uh, people get their license to sample crops. So a couple of labs have registered with us. So we're rolling right along. Very cool. So a lot of people don't really understand that um, TDA is uh, operating under the rules set by the USDA. And I'm wondering if you can kind of help define um, where TDA stands in that chain of, of enforcement uh, between what do you guys have control over versus what is the USDA, uh, what do they have control over in all of this discussion? Well, I guess a simple form to put it, we are the agent of the federal government. We're, we're the boots on the ground here. We're the ones enforcing uh, their you know regulations. We have some of our own. Our, our state legislature put some on, but uh, the federal regulations supersede or usurp the uh, state regulations. So that's that's kind of where we are. Of course, you know, we, we couldn't participate in Texas under the 2014 Farm Bill because uh, hemp was still classed as a narcotic, uh, an illegal substance. But the 2018 Farm Bill removed that. So we were one of the first states to get our plan in and actually get it approved. So we're actually operating under the, under the new farm bill, not, not the old one. Some of them are still can operate under the old set of rules up, up until October 31st. But uh, we're just going to get it right and do it right the first time. So that's kind of where we are. We've got to, you know, register everybody. Everybody has to get, the, uh, you know, the crop under 0.3% uh, or, or it's uh, considered hot and, We'll have to figure out what to do with that. We're working on that. So hopefully, we'll get some more options for this before harvest season gets here. We've got to have sample pulled. You've got to send it to the lab. You know, you can go to my website, uh, texasagriculture.gov, and I've got 13 pages of frequently asked questions there. We've got two two really good informative videos. One of them will require you to watch before you can uh, apply for, uh, you know, get your application to apply for a license. So a lot of good information on that website. It's it's been very helpful. Uh, people seem to like it, and they usually find the answer to the question right there. You guys have been doing an awesome job just communicating with growers and not only getting them their license, but getting them you know seeds that they can use and, and getting those approved as well. So you know, again, just considering everything the country's dealing with, and you know the fact that that you correct me if I'm wrong, your office, your budget's like is it two billion dollars. Uh, my budget for this project is zero. We got zero appropriations. <laughs> but but overall, I think, I, I think what uh, I'm overall. Oh, overall, my agency is a $6 billion budget. I oversee a, a larger budget than 31 governors. That is intense. So you're running uh, quite the organization over there that is not, you know, just him. And so true, truly respect to, to you and your team over there for getting this off the ground. You know, let me ask you something. What has, um, has there been any particular challenge in getting this uh, whole deal off the ground here in the state? Well, you know, the coronavirus has made everything challenging. We've, you know, my building's empty. Everybody's working remotely. We had to get laptops for people and get them set up on a secure server and all of that, you know, and encrypted. And that that wasn't easy. It cost money we didn't have, but uh, we're doing it. I'm really proud of my people. They they kept on schedule and kept online, and there wasn't any, wasn't any backlogs. We had just some very minor glitches. We had uh, one hemp company that – had too many owners to fit on our farm, so they didn't fit. So we had to call them directly and, and get that one worked out. But other than that, everything else pretty much went off without a hitch. Uh, 
but we've been extremely busy, you know, with this virus stuff. We, you know, I'm still responsible for, you know, those 5 million school meals each day. So we've had to change the way we're feeding those kids and get, you know, I think I've asked for 25 waivers where we can, we've set up over 5,000 feeding sites across the state of Texas, keep those kids, you know, fed. Uh, I'm also the commissioner of the uh, state office of rural health care. So we're struggling working around the clock to try to keep the 163 rural hospitals open, which is pretty important if you're farming hip out in rural Texas. You know, you need a hospital. You need health care. Uh, and it's a struggle. Uh, we had one file bankruptcy last week, and uh, we'll probably have more. But, uh, you know, the prices of everything's gone up. And their income has dried up to almost nothing. Uh, you know, no elective surgeries, no sports injuries, very few automobile accidents. Uh, no one wants to go to the hospital, afraid they'll get the virus. About the only people that you'll find in a rural hospital are people who've had a heart attack. And that's that's just, you know, un- unfortunate, but that's 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 the truth. So anyway, we've got a lot going on. But, but So I'm proud of my people staying on top of the hemp program and keeping it running, the trains, you know, on, on schedule and everything running on time. So looks like we're going to be, you know, uh, we're not going to be the one that holds up spring planting for sure. It, we, we've got all the tools ready for the farmers. If they're ready to plant hemp, we'll, we'll get you rolling. Hey, I've done an excellent job of doing that. And it looks like a lot of growers are going to be getting in the ground, you know, potentially as soon as May is what we're seeing out there. And so just, you know, thank you again for, for uh, all y'all's work on that. Um, I, I want to jump, ju- uh, jump into some, you know, slightly deeper questions here about just the program and really farmers and hemp in general. Um, one of the things that I did see um, that has come about is that you've got uh, what's called the Texas Hemp Advisory Council now that I believe is providing you uh, some professional insight on this. Can you talk to us about that council and uh, kind of their charter and what kind of stuff are they communicating uh, with your office in order to to make sure this industry is working uh, most effectively? Well, I don't mind sharing my secret of, of my success. I try to find people a lot smarter than I am and hire them and let them tell me what I need to be doing. And that's what the purpose of this hemp council is, is I've got people that much smarter than me about hemp uh, that know the industry. We've got law enforcement in there. We've got manufacturers. We've got growers. We've got dealers. We've got merchandisers. We've got uh, transportation people. Uh, so, you know, a slice out of just about every aspect of the hemp industry in there. And, uh, you know, they have been an asset to me in the department uh, because we've we've had two meetings that lasted, you know, quite some time. And we gathered input and, and uh, you know, the best ideas from the best people we possibly could, you know, to set up this program. And uh, apparently it worked because we really not, not haven't seen any problems so far. So. That's the purpose. Uh, Tom Pickens and Eloise Frischkorn are co-chairs of it, and uh, Tom is uh, uh, has a has a lab testing lab, and of course everybody knows Eloise what assets she is to the to the hemp industry. Awesome, great, yeah, no, we're excited to see what's coming out of that. Um, yeah, you're one of the things that uh, uh, is a concern in this industry. I'm sure you've heard about this. Is this this concept of pollination going on? Uh, where, you know, these outdoor farmers that are trying to grow CBD don't want their female plants to be pollinated. And, and this obviously creates a problem when, when we talk about having farmers growing it for fiber and grain because we're going to have pollinators in the field. So has TDA at all explored this particular problem that it's creating it's creating issues between farmers in other states. And I'm wondering, have y'all explored this at all? Is there any um, chance that y'all may eventually move into a concept like regionalizing areas of the state to limit, you know, industrial growing in certain areas and CBD and others? You know, actually that's probably not. And I'll tell you my philosophy of governing. You know, the one that governs the least governs the best. I'm not big on regulations or government oversight. I kind of let the free market, you know, work work its way out. It seems to, you know, the private sector seems to do it better, faster, and more efficient. So, you know, far, farmers are smart enough not to, you know, plant a field, you know, uh, fence line to fence line with somebody across the fence is growing something that's going to damage the crop. 
you know, people are just going to have to use a little, little common cowboy logic, a little common sense out there. You don't need government, you know, telling you where you can plant and what you can plant. Uh, we do, I'm just, basically, I'm not into that. Now, we want to be an asset. We'll help, uh, and we'll, we'll be a resource, and, and we can provide information and research and, and uh, data and, you know, locations uh, off our website where those hemp farms are and what kind of hemp they're farming. So we'll, we'll, be, a, we'll be a knowledge bank uh, for the farmer. If he's worried about cross-pollination, he can figure out who's got what where real quick. I like it. I like it. Well, you know, I might lose some followers here by saying this, but uh, uh, one of the things I really respect about you is uh, is your strong support of our president, and uh, and I think uh, I think this industry has a lot to thank uh, our president for for the fact that we he did decriminalize this this plant, and and as one Republican to another, I want to kind of ask you what your philosophy is on this because. Um, one of the challenges that we're seeing in the industry right now, and this is going to hit our farmers as they go into this business, is that there is significant um, resistance by banking institutions to do business with farmers. And one of the problems that I've identified is that uh, there is some banking legislation that is being stopped in the Senate by Republicans, uh, particularly Cornyn and Cruz here in this state have voted against a banking reform that would open that up for our farmers. And as another Republican, I'm just wondering, how can we better communicate with, with folks like Cornyn and Cruz about this crop, let them know that hemp isn't marijuana, that this is a textile medical grade crop that has the potential to help our farmers. How can we improve that, that communication within the party? Well, that, that's where people like you and your organization comes in. You're, you're the advocacy for the industry. And, you know, part of your job is, and, and the others like you is to educate our elected officials and, and, and lobby for the farmer. The farmer's got to – he needs to stay in the field and, and tend to his crop. But there's organizations like yours and, and others that can, can go do that job and, and reach out and, and try to educate, uh, you know, our politicians – as to why we need what and why it doesn't, you know, it doesn't do what they think it does. So it's it's more of an education process. I'm telling you, when uh, when we first started uh, pushing this hemp, and they found out I was for it, they they thought I'd gone nuts. You know, the, the Miller, he's he's for pot. You know, that's the way it come across. <laughs> they were just they were just ignorant. I mean, they didn't know. Uh, but now, you know, they kind of come around. And say, oh, so it's not pot. I said, no, it's not. So. You know, that's uh, uh, just, just we got a work cut out for us. You know, when people are that ignorant, we've got to educate them. Yeah, we're working on it. I, I remember knocking on a on a farmer's door up there around uh, uh, the Vega Hereford area. And the minute I said him, uh, uh, he slammed the door in my face. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, he just, you know, he just, you know, he's not probably not a bad guy. He's just ignorant. He just doesn't know. And I don't mean that as a, as a derogatory term. It's just the fact if you're ignorant, you're uneducated. Doesn't mean you're stupid. You're just uneducated. You don't know the subject. Absolutely. And you know what? The good thing about this is that, I mean, we already have almost 200 members in our association that mostly are growers throughout the state. That they're learning. They're eager to learn. They want to get on board with this. One of the concerns, though, that exists out there, and I'm sure you've probably seen this maybe through the headlines, is that there's a concern that maybe law enforcement might harass, you know, uh, the logistics. Farmers wanting to transport some hemp maybe from their farm to the processor. Has your office opened up any kind of dialogue with DPS or any other kind of law enforcement to... Um, you know, help get them acclimated to this new program? Well, the first thing we did when we were trying to get the bill passed and, and ledgers, we sat down with the DPS, Department of Public Safety, our state troopers and Texas Rangers and the Attorney General's office and the DEA. And we wanted to let them know, you know, have their input. It's kind of like my advisory committee. We, you know, we got law enforcement on it. So uh, the DPS is very pleased with what we've done. They don't have any problem, any issue. They say, if, if we pull somebody over and he's got one of your, uh, you know, travel manifests, 
that's good enough for us. That's as far as we're going. That's all we want to see. So we're not, they're not interested in harassing anybody, you know, taking samples and resending them off. They're just not going to do that. They just actually, they just don't have time or the manpower. Uh, for you know, because they they got kind of like us, they got zero dollars and zero personnel to, you know, to work this program. They just don't have they just don't have it. They got plenty of plenty of other illegal drugs to chase down with the cartels and methamphetamines and, and you know everything else that they're they're fighting on the coming into our state. Right, right. So you know, one thing that um, uh, is a big concern for for growers right now is how the state is intending to treat smokable flour. Uh, this could be potentially a major deal for our farmers. You're talking about 200 to $300 a pound potentially. And so um, what has been TDA's stance on smokable flour and how does it plan on approaching that with, uh, with growers? Well, here's the way you approach it. You can't do it. It's illegal. We have to follow the law. So, Right now, it's not happening. Again, another another job on your list, on your bucket list to get done is is the reason that that's in law is because the legislature was ignorant. They didn't they don't understand it. They thought, well, we're not you kind of going to smoke it like you smoke pot. We're not having legalized pot. So I mean, they're just you know they've got to be educated. So before I can do anything, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, that's the law. No smokable, no smokable hemp in Texas. That's written in state statute. So, legislature will be back in session in January. Uh, there would be a good time to try to work on that and see if you couldn't get that fixed. Right, right. Now, one thing that you guys actually introduced that, um, that we were very excited to see was the concept of bringing in these third-party companies to come out and do the testing, you know, taking those cuttings and uh and send them out to labs how can you talk about a little bit about what what is that relationship going to look like whenever the farmer is ready to get their testing done how do they reach out to those persons and what does that uh ultimately look like for uh you know the communication between the farmer the lab and tda well the legislation gives me the authority to send an inspector out and pull a sample and charge up to $300 for pulling the sample. Well, since they didn't give me any personnel or any money to pay those guys, uh, it's, I just can't do it. So, and uh, if you look at my uh, history of running this agency and retooling it, I like to take everything I can that the, that the government's doing, the Department of Agriculture, and uh, outsource it to the private sector. I've always said this earlier conversation, but the private sector does it faster, better, more efficient uh, than state government ever could. So I've taken the decision that I'm not sending my inspectors out to pull those samples. So you'll have basically, it'll work one of two ways. The lab you contract with will have their own employees pull the sample and prepare it for them. A lot of them will be that, uh, go that route. Otherwise, there'll be some labs that'll, that'll require you to hire a sampler and uh, they, they will come out and pull your sample and send it to the lab on your behalf. Now, the farmer can pull as many samples and have as many tests as they want done themselves, with the exception of that last one that's in 15 days of harvest. That has to be done by you know somebody other than someone that's associated with the farm. And of course, it has to be licensed by us too. But it doesn't stop the farmer from taking his own test to kind of see you know, where he is in the process. Right, which is going to be necessary to make sure nobody's having to uh, burn down their crop, right? Yeah, and I, I just say that so farmers, you know, they know that they don't have to pay, you know, $300 each time they have a sample gathered. They can gather that themselves and take ship it to the lab or run it to the lab but not too far from one and get, get the results. Save a little money. We're all for that. So um, just pivoting to our last uh, uh, question here, which is uh, the processing. This is a huge concern for, for farmers right now, is that uh, they're thinking about growing, and in some cases, they're even talking about uh, their endpoints, but the actual processing to, to, you know, the farmer brings their biomass and gets it cleaned and then gets it extracted. 
what have you heard as far as processing in this state? Can we expect stuff to be online this year? And if so, can you give us any indication where it's coming online? Well, it'll be on our website, texasagriculture.gov. Uh, we don't have that up up and running yet. Uh, we will. And the basically way that will work, you'll be able to download it from the cloud. Once we get to the point, you know, our ultimate end game on this, where everything's up running 100% and we've got the bugs worked out of it, you'll be able to go uh, get a, uh, uh, a pass to a site called DIR, you know, Department of Information Resources. We will send that to them. They'll put it on the cloud, and you can download it 24-7, real-time, around the clock, anytime you want. So in the meantime, we will make a list of all the processors. We'll post that probably on our website until we can get this cloud system up, up and running for you because uh, we, want, we want the farmers to have those assets and tools and know, you know who, who the processors are, or what, what their market is, where, they, where can they deliver the product, who's writing contracts, that kind of stuff. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, I really appreciate you joining uh, the show today, uh, Commissioner Miller. It truly has been a pleasure uh, to be able to host you today. Now, uh, you had the, the premiere of your new show, Texas Agriculture Matters, and can you just remind our audience, how can they tune in and watch that? When is that going to be uh, airing, and where do they find it? It's uh, on Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. Central on RFD TV network. It's also Friday mornings at 6 a.m. So if you're an early riser, you watch it at 6 a.m. on Friday or 6 p.m. on, on uh, Tuesdays. Uh, you can probably go to the RFD TV website and uh, watch an episode of it, uh, the one that aired tonight. Awesome, very cool. Well, I really I think appreciate they have an app. Doing... I think they have an app you can download to see it. But uh, just like to thank you know all the folks over at RFD TV. This, this has been great. They're doing this because they love Texas. They're not charging us to, to, to you know, anything. Uh, and they're they're throwing their uh, uh, personnel in, you know, to help make this thing work. So no taxpayer dollars are spent on it whatsoever. Uh, just our time, you know. But it's that's part of our job is promoting Texas agriculture. So it's well within our scope of what we do. We're we're glad to get to do it. We're kind of excited about it. Anything that makes the farmer and the rancher the winner, right? That's that's the name of the game. Amen. I appreciate your time today, Mr. Miller, and uh, truly a pleasure hosting you. And so uh, thank you for being on the show here with us. You bet. Anytime, my friend. Thank you all. Thank you. Awesome. And so that was Commissioner Sid Miller with the Texas Department of Agriculture joining us here on In the Field for our second episode. What a treat that was to be able to host him here today. And so as we move ahead, one of the conversations that is becoming increasingly important, not just amongst our members, but farmers all over this country, is the subject of soil health. Soil health, it's, it's vital. It's vital to not only a grower's yields, but to the long-term sustainability of our agriculture systems and our food supply. And as farmers are preparing their fields and their grow rooms all across this country right now, the discussion of how we revitalize and regenerate our soil and ensure the fertility is coming up quite frequently and it's on everyone's minds. And right now, I'm excited to welcome to the show CJ Swicky. He's the sales director for Wind River Microbes. CJ, thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, I really appreciate it. How about yourself? Doing good, just at home playing with the kids. Very cool, very cool. Well, I'm sure you've been getting a lot of that in the last month, right? Yeah, that and agriculture stuff, that's about it. <laughs> Amen. So hey, tell me a little bit about Wind River Microbes and uh, uh, what you guys specialize in uh, there and how you're helping farmers. Well, Wind River Microbes is a company that was built by Jackie, and what we do is we have bottled the microbes, fungi, other entities that are in soil that help promote the growth of plants. So I saw you posted on your Facebook page a little deal about that earlier. 
What a lot of farmers don't know is that network will reach 700 times the root zone, what it's touching of dirt of the plant and feed that plant nutrients. So without them, you don't get as good of a crop, you don't get as much fertilizer uptakes. It just, it changes the entire way we grow. Well, and as, as somebody who is learning every single day uh, about this, this farming ecosystem, one of the things that, that I found amazing was this relationship that exists between the microbes in our soil and our cover crops and our ability to actually exchange nutrients. Can you talk about that relationship at all and, and, and how microbes actually play into uh, that exchange? So the easiest way I think I can explain that, that I tell people is microbes are like truck drivers. They're taking nutrients from one thing and they're moving it into the plant and the plant is making an exchange with them. And during the exchange, the microbes get what they want, the plants get what they want and they grow. So for instance, if you don't have microbes in the soil and you grow a cover crop, you won't get that exchange and you won't get, well, you will get some nitrogen, you won't get the full benefits of it without them. So they build out a network that connects to the different plants, pulls resources back and forth and shares them. The thing that most farmers don't realize is every time we rototill, plow or disc, we destroy that network and they rebuild it. So what we did was we bottled the microbes that are in that network so you can put them down to repair all that damage quickly and get them up and running again. Now that's something that kind of makes your company unique is that y'all are actually uh, breeding these microbes, correct? Like how does that even work? Uh, you don't have to disclose any company secrets or anything, but can you talk to us like how are you guys actually growing these microbes uh, in an environment that allows you to ultimately uh, sell them you know, to the market? Well, that's the $30 million trade secret. And it's about what it costs us to do it, figure it out. Um, we are growing them underground. The hardest part about it is getting them to breed, which is a trade secret. The other hard thing was stabilizing the formula in a bottle. So a lot of our competitors that sell microbes, they put additives in there to feed the microbes, which makes basically you can't run them through drip irrigation because it plugs it. Our formula, we have microbes that feed the microbes and it's a living formula. So we're not targeting one thing in the soil, we're targeting the whole soil health, which is why farmers who have pH that's too high, they see it come down over time, too low, comes up, it cleans salts up. Um, it's a very unique process. We actually grow them underground. We bottle them ourselves and then we ship them out. That's, yeah, that, uh, that to me is just so fascinating how, how we can actually uh, grow these things and then you know, actually bottle them up and send them out there. And, and this, is, this is something that is very important for hemp farming. You know, the ability to, to have microbes that really uh, help these plants receive the nutrients that they need is so important. So um, for a grower that's thinking about, you know, they're looking at their soil, they're seeing low organic matter in that soil, what is your recommendation as far as uh, acquiring microbes and applying them in the field? How, how do you recommend it be done? How much should be applied uh, to, say, an acre of land? With our product, we suggest one gallon per acre. Now, that being said, I have hemp farmers that are putting five to ten acres per acre just to boost up those numbers even further. Uh, one of the things, and I sent, I think, you the article as well, that they're finding is when that plant goes to flowering, if it does not have a good microbe network, it can cause stress on the plant and it will start to run hot. So if you don't have that network in the soil, your plants aren't taking up nutrients at the rate it needs when it switches to flowering, which will cause a stress. But we typically tell everybody it's a gallon per acre. Application is you can spray it on there. Um, we have people who run it through the drip irrigation, through plasti mulch, overhead. Uh, we even have people who are running it in crop dusters and helicopters to get it on their property. So and, and we go ahead, gonna, sorry. We really have a unique formula because it can run through any irrigation system. It won't clog up nozzles. And that's important because a lot of these hemp farms are running on drip irrigation. 
which is which is super yes, key. Yes, it is. So, so that's a big, yeah, we big run deal. through our grid. Haven't had a single problem. Very cool. So now, if uh, if a grower wanted to get their hands on some of these awesome microbes that we're hearing about, where can they find them? Uh, are y'all uh, uh, running any kind of specials right now that maybe they can know about? And, and how would they go about uh, uh, getting their hands on some of your product? Well, as always, anybody that is part of, has a membership with you guys gets 10% off of our website pricing. And that was actually posted inside that micro video on your Facebook page. So if you're a member, jump on there and get that. If not, you're welcome to look me up, uh, CJ Swicky. I'm on the Wind River Micro page or any of my affiliates in Oklahoma. All of my guys actually work with cannabis, hemp growing it, and I've taught them extensively. Um, I actually worked with the colleges here when this program first started in Oklahoma, getting some of that stuff set up and learning about it. So either way, cool. you can do it either way. So if you have questions, you're welcome to look me up and ask all the questions you want by email or call me. My number's listed on there as well, and I can help that way as well. Very cool. Well, CJ, thank you for joining us today um, on In the Field and sharing your insight there on soil fertility. Uh, just really appreciate you coming on to the program today. Uh, you're welcome, Zach. I will talk with you later and have a wonderful evening. Sounds great. Thanks, CJ. So that was CJ Swicky with Wind River Microbes. And once again, I just want to thank that company for their support of today's program. You can go online and find them at windrivermicrobes.com if you would like more details on their product uh, and how it works. And of course, he mentioned that if you're a member of Texas Hemp Growers, you receive discounts. That's one of the benefits of being in our organization is that our members receive access to a whole network of discounts that allow them to save throughout their grow operation. And so if you haven't joined Texas Hemp Growers, it's $79 a year. It's the winning team. So if you want to be with the winners, come on to hemptx.org. Join us today. And I also want to uh, acknowledge that our next episode of In the Field is going to feature Dr. Calvin Trossel from Texas A&M. And he was actually just last week named the statewide hemp specialist for Texas A&M's AgriLife Extension. And so Dr. Trossel is going to join, join us next Tuesday at 7 o'clock p.m. where he's going to share his research and what challenges he sees ahead for Texas growers. Once again, we're going to start that episode promptly at 7 p.m. next Tuesday. And so, as always, I want to just close this program tonight by thanking you for joining me. You can find episodes of In the Field on our website at hemptx.org. Also, you can now subscribe to our show on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms, so make sure you follow us there. Become a Texas Hemp Growers member through our website for just $79 a year. Get that unmatched support and join all the 200 growers who come together in just six months. Tune in next week for our special guest. We're going to have Dr. Calvin Trossel with Texas A&M on our show. This has been your host, Zachary Maxwell. Until next time. This episode is sponsored by Wind River Microbes. To give your soils the best natural growth enhancements, including mycorrhizae and beneficial bacteria, visit windrivermicrobes.com.